literary triumph if I've ever had one. Thank you very much. Thank you. I golf will be claps. here all night. Did you say golf claps? Yeah. What is a golf clap? I know it's like so a it salt. doesn't startle the yeah. players. Oh, yes. that's clever. Mm -hmm. Did you know that apparently in the PGA, the sandwiches have like cost the same thing since it started, and they're like wicked good, and people have really tried to recreate them, but they can't. What? Yeah, this is a, sorry. That's a whole tangent that I won't get into. But no, Dylan, this is a tangent I want to get into. Yeah, Dylan and I were talking about this like last year when the PGA was on because we had to watch so much fucking golf at work. It was <laughs> stupid. That's the worst. Dylan, if you can hear me, which I know you can't because you weren't listening to this, but Dylan, I want you to know that I hate watching golf so much. And uh, anyways, nobody likes watching golf. It's stupid. I mean, a lot of people like watching golf. I would take golf over darts. Who watches darts? People watch darts. It's so dark. Thank you. Um, anyways, yeah, apparently the sandwiches are like ridiculously good. It, it's really interesting, actually. It is. Yeah, like the food, like... The catering, basically, on it is just, like, this big, like, well-guarded secret. Like, if you are watching, you get to, like, buy these sandwiches, or if you are part of, like, a golf entourage? No, no. Like, if you are there mm. as, like, mm -hmm. one of the people, spectators, I guess, of the PGA. That's very interesting. Yeah. It's all right. Mm. Anyways. Mm. I don't know where I was going with this. Uh, Triumph, golf claps, oh, Christmas dinner. Yes. <laughs> Christmas dinner. We had such a nice Christmas dinner. Oh my gosh, was it ever nice. It was delish. First of all, I had a lovely little smorgasbord at work on the 24th, so that was nice. And then I went home and watched uh, It's a Wonderful Life in bed drunk, Perfect. which is my favorite Christmas tradition. Uh, and then I had such a nice, like, cute little morning with my tea. Anyways, that's not the point. The point is I made a delicious dinner. When I say I made it, I mean Jill and I made it. And when I say Jill and I made it, I mean my mom did all the prep and then Jill and I really came in at the end. Steve... He was there for moral support slash dishwashing. <laughs> Anyways. You need that person. Really, though. It's so important. If you don't have a good dishwasher, the whole thing falls apart. Uh -huh. Anyways, fucking excellent. We were absolutely gooned the entire day. Uh, we played this really fun game where you had to, like, roll dice, and then once you get doubles, then it's your turn to, like, try and unwrap this thing in a saran wrap ball. Anyways, it was so much fun, and... I excelled um, <laughs> at unwrapping something. Shocking. Uh, and then we made... What's that salad, the Italian one with the bread and the olives and the tomatoes? Panzanella. Thank you. I always want to say panzanelli or something like that, mm. but it's I just can't get the end of it. Panzanella. Anyways, we made that for start, and then we made osobuco with uh, saffron risotto, which was so good, and then green beans almondes, and then my mom made trifle for dessert that was chef's kiss. So good. <laughs> yeah, and it was just such a nice dinner, and it just felt so, like, no pressure and no stress. Like, it's not the, like regimented okay the sweet potatoes have to go in at this mm. hour and the turkey needs to be basted at this time and i need to have a mental breakdown at this time and then get it together for this <laughs> so it was really nice to be able to like relax and just have like a good dinner i feel like yeah that is the thing that my family's come to for like years ago mm -hmm. partially because again no turkey yeah it really does it's just like who has the time? Like, it's Christmas. You want to have, like, a nice, chill dinner. And, like, a part of me does kind of love the insanity of trying to put on this massive production. But you've already done that. But I've already done that at Thanksgiving. Well, we didn't even do it, though, because we haven't, like, had a big family dinner. Mm. So it's just been really casual because it's just been, like, the three or four of us, whoever was there. Not the whole, like, dozen that we're used to. So it's easy. easy. And you guys just have the four of you. So that's easy. There's five Or five, us. yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, we did our classic, kind of like you pick, like everyone picks a course. I made a triumph of vegan caviar, which I was a little bit unsure about, but uh, yes. I'm so intrigued. It sounds so excellent. 
It was fun. I feel like the texture was not quite right. I feel like if I'm going to do it again, I'll pay a little bit. I don't know. I'll maybe tweak my agar. Mm. But maybe there's nothing you can do if it's like gelatin rather than. I feel like, like you need eggs. to get quite like a crispness to it. And I feel like that's what would be lost with the gelatin. Yeah. And I, it's just not possible. No. But that's fine. Hmm. I don't know how you would go about fixing that. Eh. Eh. What can you do? But it was good. The flavor was good. Mm. Very nice. Just a little crackers. Mm. Champagne. What more do you want? Like literally nothing. Yeah. And I just feel like I've been really eating good lately. That's good. That's how it's uh, supposed to be at this time of year. There's nothing else to do. There isn't. I'm making soup as like literally. Okay. I know I've been on this about like my making soup for the past few days or week or whatever, but it's like, I'm preparing to have COVID and I just want to have a bunch of things that I can easily like defrost and just be like, here's something delicious that you don't need to worry about. And if you can't taste it, it's still got lots of veggies and nutrients in it. So you're good. I think that's smart. That sounds like a good plan actually. Yeah. (laughs) If anyone would like my tips on how to survive COVID from someone who has not yet had it, not yet had it. Anyways, it's fine. But this podcast is meant to be able to escape from all of that. This is Pantry Staples, everybody. The podcast where we dish on your favorite foods. I am Marika. And I'm Emily. And it's actually not so much of an escape because we are doing food disasters this season, but it's still different than the current disaster of life. Uh, Yes. What disaster are we talking about today? I am going to tell you all about the London beer flood. Ooh. Yes. You're really into the flood ones. I am. There's a lot of floods. Who would have thunk? I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like, what else is food going to do except, like, explode, explode and... or flood? Well, yeah, or both. Mm. It gets a little dark, I guess, because, like, people die. So sad. I know. Again, like, with the whole Boston, uh, like, mm. molasses flood, I was just like, haha, what a hilarious thing. And you're like, actually, <laughs> terrifying. This, mm, I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit less information about this because it's, this takes place in 1814. Mm. So it's like two years after the War of 1812. Yes. <laughs> Very significant. Um, who am I? Um, so yeah, so not as many records and like not, it's a flood. I will tell you all about it. So Monday, October 17th, 1814, mm. it's about 4.30 PM and George Crick, a storehouse clerk, Crick the clerk, <laughs> at the Horseshoe Brewery, Aww. I feel it is very important to mention that Horseshoe is written in two words. Oh, I don't know why. It's like, this is where they go for their high heels, not their horse <laughs> shoes. You know? Yes. I am picturing like a horse in like gum boots. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, Horses in clothes is an excellent thing. <laughs> just, yeah, animals in like animals a light are... outfitting. Oh my God. Katrina texted me today a picture of the calendar that she got for 2022 and it's sloths doing yoga and I stopped in the Ugh. street and gasped when I saw the pictures. That's perfect. It's it perfect. Ex- just excellent. I... Exquisite, as some might say. <laughs> Yes. Perfect. Mm. Um, so yes, 4.30. Mr. Crick. He noticed that one of the 700-pound iron bands on a vat of porter had slipped. Not good. Was Mr. Crick concerned or even alarmed that, that the structural integrity of a vessel holding 33 tons of 10-month-old porter beer had been compromised? Not for a fucking second. No, of course not. Apparently the enormous bands slipped off the vats two to four times every year. 
So Crick was confident that, quote, no harm whatever would ensue. (laughs) Oh, Crick. An hour later, a 15-foot high tsunami of over four, oh, nope, of over 100,000 gallons of beer burst through the brick wall of the brewery and flooded Tottenham Court Road, leaving a path of destruction similar to a fire or small earthquake. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, how many hours later? Four, did you say? Just, no, what, just like an hour later. An so hour he's later. Like, he's like, hey, that, uh, that thing holding that giant barrel of a uh, beer seems to have fallen off ah, totally fine that happens all the time no hmm. no, no, no no i feel like what really happened is that it's happened before but there was just some like enterprising like genius employee who was just like quick i'll just like sort this back out and like quickly like drills and screws the whole bit back together and that person was off that day and it's just like well here you go I guess, but like the whole thing was this was it was like he wrote a note to like send to the owner who was just like, yeah, you know, like this thing fell off. Like we're going to have to fix that at some point. Oh no. Like it was just, oh no. Very unconcerned. (laughs) The fuck budget was low for that day. A little bit. Oh no. (sighs) Why the heck? Was there a giant wooden tank of beer in the middle of a city, though, you might also ask? Yeah, great question. Well, unlike the Boston Molasses Flood, this is not an industrial or, like, port situation. Uh, but it turns out that no, huge... No, it's a porter, sorry. <laughs> good one, good one. Porter was also the most popular drink at the time. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm, all right. But yes, it turns out that huge vats of beer were a major tourist attraction for London breweries in the 19th century. Oh. Everyone was like, ooh. Look at the horseshoe. They've got the biggest vats in town. That's what they say about me. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's actually so adorable. They're just it like, is. Come one, come all. See our fancy vats of beer. Yes. So Ian Hornsey, who wrote uh, in A History of Beer and Brewing, hmm. uh, he said, quote, One of the most spectacular sights, certainly at the major London porter breweries, was the sheer size of the storage vats. Much kudos being attached to the brewer in possession of the largest example. Oh. Uh, Thankfully, uh, for people in Tottenham Court, the vat at Horseshoe was by no means the largest on site. Like the one that broke? Like they had bigger ones. Oh no. But this was like... But this was 100,000 tons, you said? Uh, It was... uh, How much? 100,000 gallons of beer. Uh, I've got more math here. Where am I at? So this, the biggest vat on site held uh, 18,000 barrels, which is like 650,000 gallons. Oh my God. So like over six times the one that burst. So like it could have been so much worse. That's wild. Again, just like who is storing this kind of stuff in these quantities? Like I know that we do this today and I know Mm. that they're there. It's just that I can't see them. Yes. But like the fuck is everyone on about but this is the thing with porter is that like it's an aged beer mm-hmm. so it's like i guess they kind of have to but then also the fact like it's so much this like capitalism thing where they're like we've got to have like the biggest Ugh. like draw everyone and so you're making bigger and bigger vats which has also got to be like not as good for the aging yeah because like it's the contact part at least, isn't it and like the ox anyways yes huh i don't know how it works for beer but certainly for wine yes. yeah interesting You will be shocked to learn that the Horseshoe Brewery was located in a poor area of London called St. Giles Rookery, where, to 
quote the Smithsonian Magazine article that I read, mm. quote, many of the city's most vulnerable lived in crowded underground cellars. <sighs> also, because this all happened on a Monday afternoon when boys and men of Victorian era working age were out and about, most of the victims were women and young girls. Ugh, gross. There were eight fatalities. Oh. Five of whom were an Irish family holding a funeral for their two-year-old son. Oh my god. So sorry, Irish, that we're back at you with the disasters. Yeah, no kidding. So me. I know, it's very sad. It's very bad. But a lot of people survived. Like, eight, if we're gonna do... Out of, like, how many city blocks that it affected, like... I don't really know. Like, it was... I think it was... Like four, like two houses were totally destroyed, and mm-hmm. that's like where the people who died yeah. were. Like they're kind of closer, and then two more were basically wrecked. So I don't think it was like a huge area. Considering like how much that seems like in terms of liquid, though, like that's a lot of a lot of beer coming at you. Yeah, and a lot of people survived by like basically riding the wave, like by climbing on furniture and like floating down. Oh my god. This is... Okay, I've told you before mm-hmm. how terrified I am of tsunamis, right? I don't know if you have, but oh, I understand me, it. It's a, very, it's a very real fear. Yes. When I was a child, I read a book, and in it, the characters were besieged by tsunami. Oh. And it was terrifying. And I was a panicked youth, as I'm sure you've already mm-hmm. put together. Like, I would every night pray, which is so off-brand, <laughs> that... Everyone I know and loved, and also just everyone in general, but yep. I made sure to clarify everyone I knew and loved first, by <laughs> yes, name, good. like a lunatic, uh, was protected against earthquakes, fires, tsunamis, general natural natural disasters, and also malicious intent. So, so sweet. It's not. It's fucking psychotic. <sighs> Anyways, so then we go to Oregon. For a little family vacation one summer. Lovely. We're staying in this beautiful hotel. It like is carved into the side of one of the like cliffs and it goes down to the beach and it's stunning and lovely. And we're having this magical time. And then I, I like to read the like the manuals, the books that tell us all the stuff about the hotel. Yes. Because I like to be informed about what the fuck is going on around me. Fair enough. I'm not, I'm, I'm paying attention. Gotta I'm 11 and I got a lot going on. <laughs> and I see that it's like what to do in the event of a tsunami. And I spent the day crying. I was like, we got to get the fuck out of Dodge. I'm over it. Anyways. Terrifying. Yeah, it's not good. No. I, like, to this day, <laughs> if a tsunami happened here, I would be basically inconsolable, even if I was fine at the end. Like, I would, I would be, I would have to move. I mean, you might need to move ahead of time because we do live in, like, earthquake tsunami. Yeah, central. I know. It's a terrible fucking plan. <laughs> Ugh. But it hasn't happened yet, so no need to worry. It's just the big one that we're waiting on, kids. I don't know. Every year it gets more dangerous to live around here, I feel like. Speaking of tragedies. Yes, back to to business, sorry. (laughs) Three workers had to be pulled from debris, but everyone at the brewery survived. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. I guess, like, it went out the back door, like the back wall, I guess. So, the back door. It's just the three assholes that were out there smoking on their break. I mean, duh. That's why you never leave your position on the floor. The writer of History.com, who seemed to be channeling first-year university Marika, oh, yes. described the carnage as, quote, soaked in poverty. The St. Giles neighborhood was now <laughs> saturated in beer. 
Ugh, that really is. I'm shocked that that's not you writing under an alias. I feel like I'm better than that now. Yeah, now. <laughs> but Anyways. Uh, I also, still... I just, you love a flair for the dramatics. I do, and I love an alliteration. Mm, so true. Um, that's horrifying. Yeah, it's not good. No. And so, what do we actually think caused the band to slip? We have no idea. Hmm. Weird. I think it was just like... Life. Uh, yeah. Bad like manufacturing. Just, yeah. The weather. Like, spirits. It just happened to be like a bad day. And like, I guess it was like maybe an older mm-hmm. barrel. It's also like 1814. So it's not like they were doing like forensics on this. They were just like, <laughs> I don't know, act of God. Sorry. Isn't it crazy how that's still a thing people can claim? Uh-huh. Anyways. There were some later accounts of people scooping up the beer and getting super drunk. <laughs> And even of one uh, later death from alcohol poisoning. Oh. But recent historians have pointed out that this is actually unlikely since it was never reported in the papers at the time. And we know from doing this podcast that 19th century London journalists loved nothing more than to dunk on Irish immigrants. So true. So that's hysterical, actually. Also, it's very reminiscent of that scene in A Tale of Two Cities where they're like the wine barrel breaks and they're all just like scooping the wine out of the gutter. What year was that written? I don't know. Let's look that up. Hold, please. Well, I'll keep talking because I had considered talking about the 1875 Dublin whiskey distillery fire, Hmm. but didn't because there was even less information. Oh, it's 1859. Oh, interesting. Charles Dickens, you really stole that. I guess, but this is 1875. So in that instance, apparently no one died from the actual fire in Hmm. Dublin, but there were apparently 20... 24 hospitalizations and 13 deaths due to evacuees binge drinking on ground whiskey. (laughs) Sorry, it's not funny. I mean, it's like, it's a little funny. But also, like, after reading this thing, it's like, maybe that's fake too. Like, I'll never know. Yeah, maybe they're just shitting on the Irish again. I mean, probably. But also, like, I know someone, I can think of a couple people who would probably be scooping up ground whiskey. Is it us? I mean, I'd try it, maybe. I mean, if it looks clean enough, I'd do anything twice. Why not? Like, what if it's a good distiller? You don't know. I don't. I don't really like Irish whiskey, though. Hmm. Not my fave. The aftermath of the beer flood um, and, like, the court case and all that was very unsatisfying. Of course. The coroner's inquest determined that the eight victims had lost their lives, quote, casually, accidentally, and by misfortune. Oh. What a depressing way to go. Like, if that's the way someone describes my death. I guess it's better than, like, because you were being an idiot, but... I guess, but it just sounds so callous. Yeah. Hmm. I know. It seems like in that, it's like I... There's a reading to me of just, like, mmm, there's... This is classism. Yeah. Yeah. The brewery and its corporate owners... Mu and Co. It's M-E-U-X... But they're British, so I don't Sounds wrong. Yeah. So I'm going to, I don't know. Anyway, they were not required to pay any compensation. Really? You could make the argument that the lost revenue from the spilled beer and the damage to the brewery, which all totaled would be equivalent to about 1.25 million pounds today. So Mm. like, that's a lot, especially in the 1814. I feel like that's usually covered by insurance, that amount. Did they have insurance in 1814? I feel like they've had insurance since the dawn of frickin' time. Uh, let me let me look up. No, you know what? They've definitely had insurance then. Fuck that. I'm not looking that up. They're, I'm going to say it 100%. Okay. 
I guess. And either way, it doesn't matter because the company almost went to bankruptcy, but was saved by a government tax bailout of about the uh, 400,000 pounds in today's money. So they got like a third of it back. Oh my God. I'm just so sick of the government bailing out companies. Like I understand that to an extent, okay, no, we can't do this. I'm sorry. I'm over it. Just drink your champagne. Mm -hmm. Just drink your champagne. Uh, because of this disaster, wooden vats were slowly phased out and replaced with concrete ones. But I feel like that's also just like a change in times. Like, yeah, it's at some point, it's no longer feasible to use wood. Like you're on an island. You're going to run out. Yeah. We always forget that Britain is an island, I think. Yeah. Limited resources, even with your colonies. Yeah. I would now like to speak briefly about beer in England. Mm. And Please. just like a couple fun facts. So beer has always, always been very important to the English cultural mindset. I know a few Brits enjoy a pint. <laughs> yeah. But like, even if you're not just going to be like making fun of the British for like being drunk, mm. it's mentioned in the Magna Carta of 1215. Really? Clause 35. Yes. Which stipulates, quote, let there be one measure of wine throughout our whole realm and one measure of ale. Oh, I just love when people are like, legally requiring like measurements yeah i'm just really glad that they make sure that we get what what we need you know yes. they know what the people want the english were so proud of their beer that they attributed their superiority in the 100 years war with the french to their beer drinking as opposed to quote small sour swish swash of the poor vintages of france <laughs> snarly petition to call like Plonk. Swish swash. We are only calling it splish splash. Wait, swish swash? Small sour swish swash swish if you're small nasty. Small sour swish swash if you're nasty. Oh my gosh. Yeah, anything under $20, that's now the new term for it. Small sour swish swash. <laughs> and now for a brief tour into the fact that there is a beer ration in Victorian mental asylums. Tracks. I don't know why I'm talking about this. I love I it. I guess it's also semi-disastrous because it's an insane thing to have done. Yeah. But also, the Victorian era was wild. Insane. Absolutely fucking batshit insane. I love it. I read a brief article from the 1980s or so. I didn't mm. write that down because of course not. Mm. From the Journal of Mental Science. Oh boy. Here we go. Um, and in it, there's an account from around like 1886 in which Dr. Herder of the Joint Counties Asylum is pleased to announce that, quote, it is now eight years since you ordered that the use of beer as an article of diet should be discontinued in our asylum. In this asylum, the change has been decidedly and absolutely beneficial. It was not accompanied by any fraction or discontent among the patients. They forced them to sober up. That's awful. <laughs> He goes on to say that discontinuing the use of beer and malt liquor as a dietary supplement for the, quote, feeble and aged, as well as a treatment of disease, has made a, quote, decided advance in rational treatment. It's a lot to unpack there. He is keen to note that they have not saved any money by cutting out beer. <laughs> because instead they had to pay for eggs and milk as dietary supplements for liquor. Oh my god. He does say that the average mortality of mental patients has decreased from about 9.7% to 8.1. Hmm. 
So, but he's like also very much, he's like, I don't think that has much to do with the beer though. <laughs> oh my God. <sighs> so while it may seem wild, uh, that beer was apparently a staple, like full food for asylum patients in Victorian England, it was in fact very common. Huh. Beer was considered, quote, fuel for the masses and generally agreed to provide a wholesome boost to the constitution, which is why we still raise a glass to good health. Ah. I like it kind of makes sense because water impurities. Exactly. When you look at the actual history of how we came to have these beverages, like any sort of like liquor, like wine, spirits, all of it, it's literally just a way to keep yourself safe. For sure. But by the 19th century, like, there was pretty clean drinking water. Like, there was other options. Like, you had tea. You didn't need to drink beer. No. But it was, like... It's so ingrained at that point, I feel like. Well, yeah. And then it became symbolic. Like, I don't have time to get into the Mm. whole thing. And I also didn't read the article very clearly. Mm. But it basically became, like, like, beer became a symbol for 19th century working class morality mm-hmm. and like the ideal I mean, proletariat. Isn't it still though? Yes. But I feel like in this instance, it's it was so different, though. but it was like more considered, like it is what's fueling the good working man. Mm, because interesting. like people had no food. Yeah. Like this is, this is Dickens time. <sighs> oh, Dickens. Um, I hate that. I actually really like his writing. He's that he's good, Ugh. but it's just like trash. It's you know like anything. It, you it can't all age well. No. So much has changed. I mean, he tried. He tried really hard. Didn't all white men ever? No, most so, don't. So true. So working class morality, no less and perhaps more so the case in asylums, where in Victorian times anyone who was poor and couldn't work the horrific hours demanded by the industrial revolution was sent to sent to a mental institution. Honestly, it's what I'm looking to do. I told you my plan. <laughs> Katrina's going to become a nurse, and then I'm going to go get committed, and I'm going to insist that she's the only nurse that I want to take care of me. Mm. Well, if you'd made that decision in Victorian London, you might not have been as happy, because it turns out that like once you actually get there, ironically... They're just like, hmm, you know what's a great way for mental patients to redeem themselves? Work. Ugh, no. <laughs> Which is like, it's partially the fault of very well-meaning Quakers, but like... The Quakers are so chaotic. <sighs> I'm over it. Poor friends. Poor friends. A beer became a very common reward for a patient's self-sufficiency, aka free labor on the asylum farm or workshop. I really really loathe the idea of just like anyone who's in some sort of like forced space like an asylum because you often don't put yourself there no or like prison just Mm -hmm. like having to do like like, i I know that this is such a stupid comment to make but just like how absolutely fucked up that it's like here we don't like you a little bit and so we're just gonna put you over here and then make you do work for us for free because modern day slavery is the prison system anyways i think and maybe this is me just being like a privileged white woman, but like mm. in some ways it's like, okay, assuming in a perfect world that everyone in prison mm-hmm. has done something bad and deserves to be, to be there. Yeah. They shouldn't just be like sitting on their butts doing nothing. Like we should like, like why would we not have them gain something out of it? 
or potentially like work and like gain a skill so that if they come out then they know what they're doing okay but this is also completely negating the fact that like 90 percent of people in prison especially in the states especially everywhere don't deserve to be there Okay, yes, 100% to that. Also, let's look at the people who are in prison doing, like, skilled labor. Like, Mm. I feel like in California, aren't a lot of the inmates fighting the fucking fires? And then once they're released, they're unable to become part of the fire department because of their prison record. Like, just so fucked up. And again, okay, (laughs) let's even talk perfect scenario Mm -hmm. where you are in prison for something that you've legitimately done bad and you need to be there. First of all, I don't actually think we ever need to be in prison unless you're literally a serial killer or a sociopath of some sort. Yes. And in that case, I kind of just feel like we should kill you. Again, <laughs> hot takes right there. But okay, you need to be there. Why are you not every single day going to therapy and talking to somebody? Why is every single day mm. not you like, I feel like it would be like a course of like, okay, now we're going to go and study like variety of like spirituality things. Not that I think we should really get religion into it, but mm. sure, let's like, in, let's investigate our souls in a bit more of a, a an intense way. Yeah. Let's read different literatures. Let's learn different cultures. Let's do some like other like helpful things to teach you how to be like a self-sufficient person. Like maybe you weren't good at cooking before this and now you've learned how to cook. And then after you've done that for like a year, they're like, Hey, do you want to get like any sort of train? Like that's what I, I can't talk about this. We're going to need to cut the whole thing out. <laughs> obviously. No. Yes. I think you're right. I think that that is kind of the goal, but then it just becomes kind of a way as always, because it's capitalism. Mm-hmm. So it's just That's free labor. One. Ugh. Legal slavery. Anyway. So basically, people are getting tankards of beer for good behavior. But even, like, regardless of that. Good beer behavior? Sorry. Continue. <laughs> so good. Um, and these are not people in prison. These are people in mental yes, Which, totally. like, again, uh, it's a the Victorian time, so it's... So, so sketch. Broad. So sketch. And so, no, 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 no. Um, but beer was standard issue at mealtimes. And mm. according to the article I read, uh, quote, a survey of asylums in 1864, which excluded extra quantities earned by workers, revealed an average weekly dietary provision of five pints. Really? Ranging from nil at Durham Asylum to ten and a half pints at Stafford. Hmm. So, like... That's over a pint a day. A pint a day. Hmm. Interesting. Just like kind of a lot. Yeah. It eventually tapered off as per Dr. Herder's account, partially because of the temperance movement, movement, but also because mental illness gradually became medicalized and therefore less stigmatized. Mm -hmm. And with this medicalization of lunacy, came more serious and scientific treatments. So, I don't know, maybe like pour one out for the folks in the 19th century asylum who had a brief taste of humanity and like a maybe semi-chill life, question mark, but then had to deal with 20th century capital S, capital C, capital I-E-N-C. Ugh. Yeah, can you imagine being one of the people who are committed and the next thing you know, they're like, actually, we're just not doing beer today or ever? Like, enjoy cold turkey, bitch. Yeah, and you were just like, oh, I just, like, checked myself in here because I was, like, tired and I don't want to deal with stuff. But, like, now I can't even have beer. Can I leave? And they're like, no, 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 no. Bye-bye. Shock therapy. <laughs> oh, my God. It's <laughs> insane the things that people have just been like, yeah, let's try this. Like, <laughs> split your brains open. Absolutely fucking nuts. Anyway, that's the beer flood of London. Very exciting. <laughs> 
<laughs> seemed like a bad time all around. Yeah, bad time all around. Anytime anyone talks about London, like even 10 minutes ago, I'm like, <laughs> seems like a bad time over there. Which is bad because I love London. I love London, but like it's a giant chaotic city. I saw an amazing TikTok about the city of London. Hmm. Interesting. Do tell. Which is a town within a town. Yeah, like the borough in there. Is that kind of how it is? No, but it's like almost like a separate country. Oh. Within London. Like the Vatican. And... Yes, exactly like the Vatican. Really? Yes. Highly recommend. Look it up. I don't remember the name of it, but it's just like... You need to send me all the good TikToks. It's <gasps> so rude that you don't. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for telling us more th- sad things that have happened to Irish people over history. I just feel like it's my due diligence. It really At is. At this point... Again, pour one out for all the Irish. Or actually, maybe scoop one up. Scoop one up. What more can you ask? All right. Well, um, we love you. We'll see you soon. Goodbye. Oh, my goodness. Follow us on Instagram at Pantry Staples Pod. Ooh, I'll send you a picture of my Oso Buco. Ooh, yes. And you can also see our delightful cheese board while we record. Because, of course, we're very fancy ladies. We are very fancy ladies. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Or the other places. And tell your friends, tell your foes. And we'll, uh, I don't know, we'll talk to you later. Bye. We come, we go. Whatever. We do what we want. We're going with the wind. (laughs) We'll talk to you later.